bruised and battered I couldn't tell what I felt I was unrecognizable to myself and uh, we then get Miss Benedict on the stand um, and you know she is the woman who got the uh, HIV AIDS from a blood transfusion and you know she's explaining that she worked with uh walter kenton and how he knew that she had aids from the you know the lesions and you know they worked together for like three years so you know we've kind of led you know also we find out that basically he kind of avoided her once he found out um you know that she had it and you know so in the seas basically that of the of the different um uh, you know, of the different, you know, kind of partners, uh, he might be the one who might spot what was happening with, even though he might not have passed that information on to the other partners. So he might have been the one who motivates, you know, the firing. Obviously, he was fired by Charles Wheeler. <laughs> you know, Charles Wheeler mm-hmm. was very, you know, very forthright about the fact that I'm firing you, Andy. But like, <clears throat> you know, it feels like some of the other guys that were under him had kind of influenced that decision a little bit. And they, they probably would have been the ones who set up the um the file to go missing like i don't think that that we had anything to do with that but you know maybe and, and, did. and correct me correct me if i'm wrong but it, this is one of the scenes where they they the the defense lawyers stress how she contracted this disease quote through no fault of her own implying yeah. that there is a fault in someone's life or lifestyle or behavior you know that I, I think that's where this happens. Well, well it too, definitely comes another... out that it's that that, that 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 they then also push that it's his behavior in the theater, right? That could yes, been. yes, right. But even at yeah. that point, they're like saying, yeah. again, I'm I'm quoting far too much from what I heard when I was probably around this time. Just you would make these concessions to be like, well, Arthur Ashe is the real tragic figure of dying of AIDS because you know he just got it from a bad needle at a blood transfusion like that's the real tragedy to then separate yourself and not feel like a monster and not feel like a homophobe yeah and and i I just heard it there i remember that there certainly was an idea that you know there was like good aids and bad aids and they're emphasizing that she has the good variety and that has the bad variety this is also something that has gone into in detail in uh, and the band played on where there was a point where they could have started screening uh blood for um HIV AIDS and by doing like a hepatitis B test that also managed to like kind of show the the retrovirus but they chose not to um, and it's really weird because in And the Band Played On the person who speaks up against the decision is played by the guy who plays Bob Kelso on Scrubs so it's really weird to see him playing a doctor in a very serious drama no, <laughs> weird. Suddenly, yeah um, but yeah so you know there was a choice that was made in like I don't know I think it was like 84 to not start, start screening for blood and so you know, there was about, yeah. I think it was something like 8,700 people that got it through blood transfusions before they introduced the testing regime, which was sometime in like 87, 88. Um, yeah, so there's like, I think it was like almost 9,000 people basically got AIDS from blood transfusions before they, they kind of stopped. Uh, they, you know, kind of just started to, to, you know, be more careful about where they got uh, the blood transfusions from. Um, which unfortunately started with just a ban on any gay men giving any blood for i don't know i think that still stands in this country and actually i think they they overturned it a couple of years ago but yeah for like 30 years just if you were gay that's it you couldn't give blood um, what if you were bisexual couldn't couldn't get couldn't give blood yeah you weren't allowed to give blood so uh yeah 
Um, but yeah, there is the emphasis that basically it wasn't her fault and, you know, it is his fault. And then, interestingly, we get uh, some Anna DeVere Smith, always nice to have her back in the film, where she's on the stand um, and, you know, they bring up the fact that Mr. Wheeler had an issue with her earrings and that they were too ethnic. I don't know if anybody else works has worked for a corporation or anything in the last 10 years, but this little scene felt like when I have to take these compliance trainings on how not to do microaggressions. This is like, <laughs> this is the scene. Like them yeah. talking about it. I'm like, oh my God, it's every, these, this guy checked every box. I, I thought it's funny because it's like literally, like again, it isn't him that said it. It was somebody, it was one of his assistants or yeah, something kind of came came to her and said that he thinks her earrings were too ethnic and that they weren't American. And I do like the way that Anna DeVere Smith said, like, when they say, what was your reply? And she's like, well, my reply was they are American, African-American. And obviously, even within <laughs> kind of like the core, people are kind of smiling at that. <laughs> and it's like, of course yeah. they are, because it's Anna DeVere Smith. She's a wonderful actress <laughs> and she's great in this scene. I don't think she's in this film after this scene. This is the last we see of her. And she doesn't do much particularly to help uh, Andy's case either. But... Um, yeah, there was kind of there is kind of a bit of a suggestion here as well that you know maybe Andy wasn't working at his you know full potential, and then also Mary Steenburgen gives this extremely sarcastic like, well, if they're super racist, then why did they promote someone to be in charge of the paralegals who's black? And thus the Anna Deville Smith is like, I don't know, like you know, it's a cur- it's curious, isn't it, that they've you know, I mean, I think the answer is tokenism, but obviously, you know, also to cover themselves against discrimination cases, probably. Yeah, and this this conversation is all too familiar now, too. The thing of like, yeah. well, if I did this, if we did this one thing, then we couldn't possibly have hundreds of years of old thoughts coursing through our old white man <laughs> law firm. Like, yeah. Ah, yeah. You know, we we promoted yeah. one person of color in the entire company out of four hundred people. Yeah. So yeah. clearly, there's no racism here. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I like that this paints the picture that, you know, Mr. Wheeler is evil because obviously he is evil. And, you know, we'll find that out once he gets on the stand. But yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and then we get what I I mean, uh, I don't know how to feel about the scene where, uh, you know, young man in pharmacy hits upon uh, Joe. Uh, you know, again, I guess it's because, we you know, we've got to see a little bit of progression, but. I, this is the step like back that I was mentioning. Yeah, this is the yeah. this is the step back. It feels like this should have been a scene that was earlier. It should have been before the bar scene or something because it like this like in the bar scene it feels like he's a little uncomfortable with what's going on. Whereas here he just seems super happy to try and beat you know, up a gay guy I, basically. I think I, I I could see it working that way, but I also think that the bar scene it kind of makes sense if they go that way where Joe is his lawyer He's accepting the case as a lawyer so he can, like, compartmentalize it that way. And then when they're in the bar, you know, they're talking about his client and sort of the general idea. And then he's talking general idea. And then here is a personal moment. This man is hitting on him. And so, it, you know, it. I guess, you know, in a perfect world, yeah, I would have wished it not gone quite that way but this is also a dramatization so we're showing that like he still has some work to do here in terms of like how to handle himself around around a gay man and and it's so i kind of get why it might happen there but it's not any more comfortable because of it i mean i guess i guess him using the slurs and kind of attacking him and all of that is meant is meant to then show up the next day in court 
um, after we have uh, an extremely weepy uh, Miss O'Hara on the stand, by kind of, um, I, I guess being the most kind of corporate out of all the the witnesses, because she's basically making out like Andy was yelling at people and you know um, wasn't performing you know well and was kind of behind with work and you know even though he was clearly a good boss to her, um, you know she kind of is is kind of is basically. Uh, you know, throwing all of herself into keeping her own job, I'm guessing, um, and not attacking the firm and basically making it clear that Andy was the one who was at fault. Um, uh, but obviously the more interesting take is when she's off the stand and then we get the return of Bradley Whitford um, playing uh, Jamie Collins. And while he's on the stand, um, out of nowhere, all of a sudden, Joe is like, are you gay? And... Bradley Whitford's character kind of doesn't say anything and he starts attacking, like just kind of getting more angry with him. And it feels like that is the outcome of, you know, him being hit on the previous, uh, the previous scene um, where of course the guy says, you know, you should take it as a compliment. And I think Denzel should, because, you know, mm-hmm. obviously he's a very handsome man. Um, but yeah, I, obviously then it comes out here where, you know, Joe starts attacking. And I, in the moment I was thinking, is that why, because I'm guessing that, you know, Jamie is the one who was in on it. He was the one who hid the file. He was the one who then found the file. Like, so to me, mm. it, it feels like he did that for some reason. And maybe because he's closeted himself. And maybe, he you know, somebody else knew that. And that's what they used as leverage to get him to do this. And it also it. and it also sort of works like in movie theme world. Because then Denzel gives that mini speech about how, like, you know, let's this is what we're all thinking you know like why why won't we say it and 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 so it kind of works for the movie world i don't know how much it would actually work in a real court case but we're not watching a real court case so but that line (laughs) i mean that's that's the hollywood line let's talk about what this case is actually about i mean yeah yeah Yeah. and it, it also sets up you know him asking um wheeler right yeah yeah you know a bit Mm. yeah but uh, yeah, because obviously the judge is like, don't ask that question. Like, it's not relevant. So, you know, obviously don't answer. I also like how the camera is kind of overhead so we can see that Bradley Whitford's hair is already receding. I mean, that hair is going. Uh, you know, don't hang on to that, Brad, because by the time you get to the West Wing, it is going to be, it's going to be a deep V going on on that head. Um, but yeah, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, then, then we get, uh, you know, Walter Kenton on the stand, uh, one of the partners, and we find out from him that he's also extremely homophobic to the point where when he was in the <laughs> Navy, they beat up a guy by peeing in the toilet, like 10 of them, and then they dunk the guy's head to teach him a I lesson. I feel like for... they would arrest him, like if you admitted that on the stand, it'd be like, uh, we're going to also file suit about that too in a minute. <laughs> Yeah, you, ex- you you suddenly expect Tom Cruise to burst in and being like, did yeah. you order the code red? <laughs> did and you then... order the code red? <laughs> Wrong Tom! Yeah, because that's what it feels like, doesn't it? It feel, it, that's Yeah, it, it kind of briefly turns into a few good men um, <laughs> for this one kind of scene. Uh, but, you know, it, it illustrates the point that obviously this, you know, he, even though he's kind of making out like he, he, didn't, he wasn't that bothered by... Um, Andy being gay you know the fact that he talks about this one guy that they were with in the Navy as walking around naked and kind of asking for it um, it obviously kind of clearly you know puts the mindset 
um, of where they're at, which I guess, you know, we could have already figured that out, basically. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't think we were thinking any of these guys were going to be, as you say, at a Pride March anytime soon. Like the partners of this firm feel extremely uh, homophobic. Um, I can't remember if it's here or later one where uh, Mary Steenburgen, as she sits down, she says, I hate this case. It's after um, the mirror. Yeah. Oh, yes. No, it's after the mirror stuff, isn't it? Well, we'll mm. save that for later then. But um, yeah, we get to see that Andy is on a regime of drugs. Uh, the whiteboard has all the various different drugs that he's got to take. Um, and, you know, he's having this conversation um, with uh, Miguel saying that, you know, he doesn't really want to do the drugs today. You know, they're obviously having difficulty getting the cannula to, you know, fit into his, his vein. And, you know, he just wants to, you know, rather than worrying about that, he wants to think about what's going to happen after he's gone. And how, um, you know, like he wants to plan his memorial service, basically, which, again, uh, you know, this is something that is, you know, well, certainly in the 80s and and kind of mid 90s was very common when people got um, uh, HIV AIDS was certainly like the idea that they, you know, it was like the the death rate at the time was something like 85 percent so if you got it you pretty much were going to be dead so you know there was a lot of people who would plan kind of ahead for when they did inevitably die and this i think is a kind of true reflection of that of like the idea that you know he he would rather just plan ahead you know he knows he's going to die very soon so he'd rather just kind of you know think about that a little bit think about what's going to happen after he's gone um and then of course that leads to a fancy dress party um you know Rather than have, like, a memorial that's all sad and everything, you know, he's like, you know, let's just have a party. Like, let's, you know, let's get people together now before you're gone. Let's have something so that you can, you know, celebrate your life rather than kind of think about your death. Uh, which, you know, I thought was a, a nice touch. And again, we get a bit of progress here from uh, from Joe showing up with his wife. Um, and he's dressed as a lawsuit. Um, and what I like is the... I mean... It's funny because, like, obviously, you know, Tom Hanks and Denzel are together in, uh, you know, a lot of this film. We've seen them in the first film, the first scene. Uh, we've seen them in the library. But while they've been in court, they're not really interacting. So I like that this party here is a chance for them to kind of interact. And I like how Denzel does his kind of repeating, like, he's like, I'm a lawsuit, a, a lawsuit, you know, a law. Like, he's kind of trying to explain the joke to Tom and kind of the way Tom's like, yeah, I get the joke. Like, it's not particularly funny, but yeah, OK, you know, like, which I, isn't that uh, Mona Lisa who says that to him? Where he's like lawsuit, and he's like, yeah, Mona Lisa. <laughs> and they're like, okay, all right, yeah, I get it. But I, I, but yeah, like kind of the acceptance that Joe has here of just turning up, I think, is obviously seen as a big step uh, with his wife, obviously uh, Lisa, who, you know, aside from revealing to him that his aunt is a lesbian, she hasn't really had that much input, and I don't think really we'll see her speak for the rest of the film. Um, uh, but yeah, so you know. We get a uh, quintet, I think it is, or is it? How many of them are singing? I think it's yeah, six or yeah, seven. Five. On IMDb, five, yeah. they're they're listed as the flirtations. Yes, five and they do a they do a wonderful cover of Mr. Sandman, but from the perspective of uh, a gay gentleman. Um, and I I thought this would be a point where we kind of like pan over to Joe, and he's like, you know attempting to throw up or something or is in disgust um but you know we don't get that so i was presently he kind of like, makes oh, a, so. he makes a little bit of a how long do yeah. i have to be here which <laughs> i guess is in character but yeah you're right it's better that it's it's not him like barfing or something you know yeah he, really he isn't he isn't like disgusted at the idea of what they're singing about so you know um obviously you know with the Jonathan Demme's background in like you know filming concerts and whatever you know obviously the the music is always well filmed 
Um, and that was yeah, it was a it's a nice it was a nice version. I was like yeah, I mean you know it's funny to kind of change the lyrics and stuff. And yeah, I thought yeah, it, it's really well done. You know, I'm always a fan of some some barbershop quartet, even if there were five of them. Uh, popping in yeah i mean you know after the party ends you know andy kind of says to joe you know like he's put a will in place and he needs it to be executed and obviously you know miguel is not probably going to be in any state to kind of cope with you know whatever's going to be done um and i do like that you know uh, joe is like yeah i know i know someone who can you know who does probate law who can kind of sort that out for you so you know it's again it's it's kind of progress um and then we probably get uh I don't know, the kind of the big Oscar scene. Um, it felt a little oh, bit yeah. like the words Oscar clip should be flashing at the bottom, much like in Wayne's World. Um, I was I was hoping at the end that he would finish by saying that he never learned to read. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, obviously, Tom Hanks is a great actor. And this is like this whole this whole scene is 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 I mean, to say it's Oscar bait like seems kind of like dismissive but this is like this is where he should like obviously throughout the film yes. he's gradually getting sicker and stuff that's that stuff it, you know it's guaranteed to win you an oscar you know just be sick and you win an oscar lose weight you're gonna win an oscar um so well, i like here how well, it, it seems like yeah the, these sorts like this film certainly was one of those that kind of pushed it into that you know way of thinking yeah i guess yeah this is this is the template yeah. for for other people to kind of follow up and do um you know tom hanks crawled so that's I don't know. Jared Leto could run. I mean, feels like <laughs> maybe Charlize Theron. Maybe Charlize Theron. Probably. Can, you know, yeah. it's like how did that? How did that beautiful woman right. appear not beautiful? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, this this scene is still fantastic. Anyway, I mean, even if it feels these days like it's a kind of a bit of an obvious like you know a, 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 an attempt to kind of grab the Oscar voters' attention, um, the whole kind of explanation of like the. Um, the Maria Callas opera, you know, him explaining the story to Denzel, who I, you know, I think I see a single tear coming down that cheek as he's, you know, this is being explained. But I think it's 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 to kind of make it clear that, you know, um, Andy isn't just like a lawyer. Like that's that's not the thing that he, you know, he's at this party. He's got all these friends there. You know, he's got a, a barbershop quintet that he just knows. Uh, he's got somebody else just like singing a song like the, you know he has he has like a community that he's in but also when he's by himself like the thing that kind of is one of his passions is clearly you know this opera and you know like him like him exp- kind of explaining the plot and kind of uh, giving kind of like a, a running commentary on what's being sung uh it's just an amazing scene and you know well lit like, I mean, and- the, the, the lighting the camera the way the camera tilts it's all fantastic yeah and crazily, uh, you know, much to the editor's chagrin, uh, done live on set. They played the music while he explained the whole thing and did the monologue rather than wow. putting it in later. And so he's actually reacting to the music and kind of, you know, giving the giving his reaction. And um, yeah, it's just it's just an amazing an amazing kind of, of kind of delivery of this. And at the same time, Denzel's reaction, like his, you know, Joe just sitting there and kind of absorbing all this and realizing that you know Andy whatever whatever the caricature that he has in his head of like you know gay men or whatever you know Andy isn't just that caricature you know he's actually a person and, and you know the and person who's that jumped out at me things. too that jumped out at me too which I guess keeps it from being just a pure like you say Wayne's World Oscar clip moment yeah. is cutting back and seeing the other character really affected yeah. and like oh man okay man these these guys are good yeah um yeah i mean you know denzel says nothing but it's an amazing performance just as he's kind of just watching um you know and kind of just absorbing it Um, and 
And you mentioned Definitely. lighting. I mean, you know, I think it's I think it's a it's very gradual thing, and how how it changes. But then the the outro for it is just so shocking that it, I mean, it's not you know extremely fast, but it's pretty fast that it it's I mean, it's like oh my god! I mean, that's like it wouldn't have been computer generated and all that kind of effects you know done no. to, to get that to happen to go back to normal lighting, and it's like they really went for it there and. Yeah, they really succeeded. they really captured the the mood of the music and the the emotions and everything with the way that the lighting and everything changes yeah. over the course of that song, and then all of a sudden it's it's like we're right there again with our audience surrogate as he kind of snaps out of it and the lighting goes back to normal. It's pretty yeah. strong filmmaking. Yeah, I should say as well this is a weird detail, but apparently all of the scenes that were shot in um, Andy's loft were all done at night. Uh, but if it was a daytime scene, they just put gigantic lights outside <laughs> and lit the whole thing to make it look like day, which I guess is a way of doing it. Um, but yeah, after <laughs> this, Joe goes home and he, you know, the the kind of the opera still plays, but he goes and he like hugs his baby daughter. Uh, again, a kind of like a running thing throughout this is his his fatherhood. When he was being hit on in the pharmacy, he was picking up some nappies and stuff. So like. Uh, there's little things that kind of reinforce the fact that Joe is very much a heterosexual man who has children and, you know, has but in this, this case, child and... not that you're not wrong uh, or not that you're not yeah. right. But uh, in this case, it's also feels, again, not subtle, but but tying together the idea that, you know, he just saw Andy being a person and then him to think of like that person had has parents and might have wanted kids and i have a kid it's like we are human beings here it's it's like i say not subtle but it's there well the earlier stuff with him you know having the baby and and kind of having the newborn and andy asking about it and like like it feels like that's less subtle this here it feels like a bit more like oh yeah this is him kind of you know making a little bit more of a step forward and obviously we're about to we're about to hit the kind of meat of the film um, apparently, before the film came out, there were some trailers that were cut that did not mention HIV or AIDS in any way, uh, and just made this out to be like a courtroom drama, but never said what the courtroom drama was about, um, in an effort to kind of maybe hide it. So that it was just basically like lots of Denzel yelling at people and lots of Tom Hanks, you know, kind of talking legal stuff, and they kind of made it so appear as if it was a legal drama, which it kind of is. Uh, you know, the next kind of forty minutes of the film were going to be Andy's testimony and you know, kind of digging into that. Um, but you know, I think it's weird that like, I mean, I guess maybe it's 1993, you know, you've got to cut a trailer to try and get people in. And I guess you just want to say the words, Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington rely on that and then let them kind of appear and then, you know, gradually ease them into the idea of the story afterwards. Um, you know, what the subject matter will cover, but, uh, I mean, actually that might've been better because it'd be more of a surprise once you actually get to the film and some of the twists aren't spoiled a bit, but you know, I just thought it was interesting. So where to go. Um, yeah. And, you know, obviously we get to uh, Andy's testimony. Um, you know, there had been a little bit of kind of chit chat before between Joe and Andy about how how he was recruited. And we get the kind of proper story of that in the court. Um, and we find out, obviously, you know, that he was recruited because he was, uh, you know, he was headhunted, basically. You know, he was an up and coming lawyer. People knew who he was. You know, they wanted him for various different firms. This is the firm that he picked because, you know, obviously they made it clear they wanted him. Um, you know, so to, to emphasize the fact that he was a competent lawyer and, you know, somebody that people wanted. Um, and then we get this flashback to the the fact that, I don't know, I, I guess kind of in a way it was reassuring for him where he was at this kind of club and they're in a the steam room and basically people are making homophobic jokes. 
And he kind of, you know, says to Joe in the court, you know, it was it was a little bit kind of reassuring because obviously it meant that, you know, first of all, he was correct to not come out when he joined the firm <laughs> um, because obviously, you know, that would have, you know, that would have been probably death to his career. But also that they didn't suspect anything because they were making these jokes in front of him. Mm. And obviously if they thought that he was gay, then they would never have done that. And so, it, you know, it was kind of twofold. Um, also... Uh point of order they are not just making homophobic jokes they're also making sexist jokes yeah well covering it all they are the worst just as a reminder they are they are the worst (laughs) reminder folks (laughs) just in case up until this point you were swayed by jason robard's smile he's not a good guy um you know uh but yeah i mean i i like how they kind of make it clear that he wasn't recruited to this firm because he was you know, just any old lawyer like this firm is highly prestigious and they wanted him because they thought he would be, you know, a future partner. Like that's uh, like that's the whole point. You know, that's that's why they got him. Um, of course, we then switched to the cross examination um, where they, you know, they ask him about his uh, lifestyle and they start off by talking about a theater. Has he ever visited it? And he says yes, three times. And then they're like, and, you know, what is what does this theater play? And he says, you know, pornographic gay films. And then they say, have you ever had sex in this theater? And he says, yes, once. Um, and, you know, I think it's interesting because obviously, uh, I, I, I mean, there is the kind of implication that he was he was with Miguel, but also he had sex with this person in this theater at the same time. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, obviously they then also talk about was he aware about you know HIV at the time and true to the actual timeline in 1984 1985 I don't think it had been the CDC had kind of given it a proper name um so I don't think it was until 87 that they properly gave or even late 86 that they actually kind of get you know said that it's it's called uh it's called AIDS um so obviously he's he's you know he's saying at the time it was just you know, called something like gay cancer or, you know, like it had various names, but none of them would indicate that, you know, it was one disease. You know, the people kind of blamed it as being many different diseases. Um, so obviously, you know, they're going for the triad honored, you know, courtroom thing of attacking the victim, which, <laughs> again, uh, does not make them look good. But then again, they aren't the good guys, are they? What else can they do? Um, <laughs> so they're lawy- down. Yeah. Lawyer uh, playbook. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I, f- I found it interesting that they uh, that uh, Andy says it's a it's a they, that they show gay films there, and then she has to add on pornographic. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, I you know they're not showing uh, I don't know Derek Jarman's Blue or uh, I, I don't <laughs> and know, the band played on. What was that? What was that? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> or uh, or or uh, that one where Andy Warhol filled that guy asleep for like twenty four hours or something. Um, you know, yeah, like, obviously, that's that's what's being played there. But, yeah, um, they then kind of start to get into the kind of the lesions. Um, and this is where we then get to the, the mirror scene, I guess, you know, where Mary Steenburgen brings up a mirror and is like, can you see the, you know, do you have any lesions at the moment? And he's like, yes, one. And she's like, can you see it from three feet away? Um, and obviously, you know he can't really and he he tries to explain but you know obviously he's you know low on energy that uh, you know at the particular time when this this incident happened he had different lesions and so you know it looks like they're going to reconvene in the morning but then uh joe miller gets up and he's like have you got five minutes andy and andy's like i've got three and he's like okay uh you know let's obviously again kind of some grandstanding but he's like you know 
have you currently got any lesions on your body that we can't see? And he's like, yes. And he's like, where? And he says, you know, on my chest. And he's like, okay. He's like, you know, take off your shirt. <laughs> and then, of course, the judge, you know, there's an objection from Mary Steenburgen, but the judge is like, no, no, no. Like, you know, you did this, so take off your shirt. Um, and obviously it takes him a little while to get the shirt off. And then, you know, the jury are repulsed as they see these many, many lesions. Um, and again, <clears throat> You know, it makes a very good point. Um, and I think that is where Mary Steenburgen, in an improvised line that apparently <laughs> um, Jonathan Demi was happy to keep in, where she kind of whispers to um, uh, to Abba Babatunde, she says, I hate this case. Um, and, you know, again, like, obviously, it's it's we know why she was chosen as the lead counsel, and we know why Jerome Green is the second chair. Um, and I think it's funny that kind of this far in, she's now realizing effectively that she's being exploited. Um, and well, you know, and supposedly she, the the story is is that she was really saying that she hated playing the role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it ended up kind oh, of being really? the main character yeah. thing. Yeah, she <laughs> she kind of just said it quietly, yeah. and Jonathan Demi was like, you know, if it's if it's at this character after this like after this many days of like testimony and stuff, probably would have been at the point where she hates the case. Mm-hmm. Um, because of you know where it's gone um but yeah uh and then of course we get to the big guy uh jason robards charles wheeler he's on the stand um and this is where he's asked why did you hire him and they you know they obviously go the route of like well you know he was a promising lawyer we thought he was going to be worth the investment um but then didn't pay off (laughs) <laughs> you know we wasted a bunch of money on a guy who ended up getting aids and is you know we had to fire um because of his incompetence um and obviously while while this is happening we see that andy is not well tom hanks is doing his best um sick acting uh, to the side of denzel um you know making it clear i mean he doesn't look well to be honest like it he looks he looks well, he lost a lot of weight um, it's and it's yeah. arguably oh, the yeah, worst yeah. that he looks in the entire movie yeah. even later it doesn't look quite as bad as he does in this court. Oh, no, his, his hair is, like, going gray, and he's just, you know, he just looks very, very unwell. Um, and then, of course, uh, we get the question uh, that is asked directly to Wheeler, are you gay? And he's like, I don't think you can ask me that. And the judge is like, no, no, you'll answer the question. And he's like, um, no, I'm not. Uh, and it's at this moment that Andy collapses. Um, and um, apparently the stunt double here is an elderly man uh, in place of Tom Hanks on the floor. Um, what? Yeah, was, that seems uh, yes. brutal. <laughs> yeah, it, like uh, the, apparently the fall was done by like a, a an older person to kind of give it more, like kind of make him appear more frail uh, because apparently even though Tom Hanks had lost weight, uh, when he fell, apparently he looked too, too kind of too strong. Well, I'd like to think that it was an yeah. older stunt person like not just not oh, just yes. like they're casting oh, no, somebody yeah. from a nearby nursing home let's bring you in to yeah. take this fall <laughs> we need yeah, someone who looks in a few minutes anyway <laughs> <laughs> we need someone who's like just really fragile to take this fall for 30 something tom cruise can you do it 80 year old man tom hanks yeah, yeah. um no, tom hanks. i said tom cruise oh man <laughs> uh, i i, I gets in your head doesn't it um yeah so uh, like yeah it's just a, ra- a random it's not a random guy it is a stunt person but yeah uh, when he's on the ground it, i think it's a di- even it's even then it's a different old person that's just on the ground because obviously to kind of portray the fragility um, that hit on the table though like that i mean it looks like that's a painful fall um i mean like yeah i mean he's just he i, I mean you know he's obviously not well 
Um, uh, while he's not there, you know, he, he, he puts Bob on the stand. Um, and, um, you know, after he's rushed off to hospital and Joe says to Bob, you know, did you notice anything different about Anders' appearance? And of course he says, yeah, I did. You know, he looked, he looked well, he, he, you know, sometimes he looked worse, sometimes he looked better, but, you know, he, he recognized the lesions, um, you know, he guessed that he had probably had AIDS and, you know, also probably that he was gay. Um, this obviously shocks the courtroom that somebody, one of the partners probably, you know, had these inklings. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, obviously, the, the fact that this is obviously, you know, this is a, you know, this person that's being questioned is HIV positive himself. Obviously, Jonathan Demi, kind of, I don't know, making a making a point that the person who would notice is played by someone who obviously would know that experience. Um, and I think it does give, you know, it does give um, Ron Vouter a bit more credibility, like on the stand, like he, and the fact that he's the one who said let's settle earlier, you know, like he's the most sympathetic of the of the the different associates that are kind of working on this. Um, <clears throat> but then the jury, uh, led by uh, Daniel Van Bargen, Daniel who Van I was Bargen, like, yes. I recognize this guy. Yeah, I was like, I recognize this guy who's playing like the head of the jury. Um, uh, George Costanza's boss, he... one of his bosses. <laughs> yes, Mr. Mr. Kruger. Kruger, yeah. Yeah, yeah Mr. He, Kruger. He, Kruger. He, he, he passed in uh, 2015. Uh, and I was like, oh, oh. that's pity, because he was... You know, when I when I remember seeing him in a few, obviously quite a lot of TV shows, he did quite a lot of them, um, and also in in a few films. And I remember him, you know, being uh, being quite fun. So, including like, Silence of the Lambs. Yep. Yes. What um, is he in Silence of the Lambs? Who is he in Silence of the Lambs? SWAT team. Oh, thank you. There we go. Yeah, he's also in a lot of very bad films in the nineties, uh, including like. Uh, Broken Arrow and Thinner and G.I. Jane and uh, The Postman Amistad, depending on how you feel about that but you know um, He's in Lord of Illusions, I, I, I liked him in that and then of course he's in uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou Oh yeah, no, Oh Brother I think is where yeah, I recognized yeah. him from Yeah, uh, But yeah, so you know it's nice to see him here as the foreman of the jury and he basically kind of sums it up as like they seem to be lying and he seems to be a really good lawyer <laughs> so <laughs> and he and I really like this moment too, where he says he he doesn't understand how you know they hired him, they gave him this big case, but they don't trust him. So explain it to me like I'm a six year old is like a yeah. nice, such a nice thing to just to show us and not tell us I am now on their side. Yep. You know, yeah. like just oh, no, by like, emulating that quote is it's really good. I think as well, you know, obviously, you know, the judge has been very fair as well in terms of like you know. Uh, upholding uh, various different objections from both sides as well so you know you feel like the judge is being fair and you feel like the jury has kind of understood what's going on with the case and you know obviously they they give their verdict uh you know they find you know they they find obviously the company guilty of firing him for you know no cause and they they then basically award a bunch of money to the tune of eventually five million dollars um, and everyone's happy about that, apart from obviously the partners of the firm who immediately are like, "We're gonna, <laughs> we'll see you in." Yeah, see uh, you at the we, appeal. This goes to appeal. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's funny because obviously the case that this was based on, you know, by the time the money was awarded, uh, the person had died, um, and obviously they never appealed it. You know, they just they just gave the money to the family. So, um, you know, which is why the family objected to this film being made and not giving credit for the you know the the real story. Um, and which is why they obviously get a 
single card credit at the end saying that it was in, inspired by them and other people. Um, but yeah, you know, I think in the real case as well, they gave seven million or a, a little bit more than five million. But um, yeah, this this then obviously leads to everybody's ha- everyone's celebrating. Everyone has gone to the hospital where, um, you know, where Andy is. Uh, he's in a bed as as Joe enters he hears you know the doctor explaining that he's lost his eyesight in one eye um, and we get into his room and obviously you know his his family kind of in the corridor and his friends and family are also in the room and you know there's a few bottles of wine in there people are celebrating they've got little hats on and you know Joe comes in with the with a bottle of champagne as well and I I mean (laughs) it's going to be hard to talk about this final bit because it is kind of amazing between the two of them, between Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington. They kind of really, like, after yeah. you spent so much time with both these characters, now to see to see kind of Joe just embracing this family and embracing his friends and just kind of being part of this, um, you know, as he's as he's clearly near the end, basically, um, and you know, kind of struggling to take his oxygen mask off and on, um, and just kind of like when he's lying in the bed and he just gives him the thumbs up when he comes into the room. Um, it's just kind of, it's amazing to kind of just think back to, you know, a few hours before in the film or, you know, months earlier when, um, you know, he's kind of like, I've got AIDS <laughs> and he's walking into his office and he's kind of suspicious of him and kind of, you know, watching his every move. And now he's kind of, you know, it feels like he's kind of basically got over, you know, and any of that. I, he understands the situation. I agree. I agree. And I, and I kind of think that it's, it also shows that in lesser hands, it comes off very melodramatic, you know, like it really shows how good these people are at, at making movies that this works. Cause it, I mean, a thumbs up has been <laughs> done poorly in a lot of things. We've all seen the Batman gifts. It can be really, uh, Really cheesy, Terminator and in two. that in that case, it's Terminator Two. Oh, I, I kind of love that one. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, that yeah, that's <laughs> but still. uh, but anyway, but but the, but the, but that's neither here nor there. Um, the, yeah, I, it, it's effective, and him putting the mask back on, and they're just they're just. I'm not breaking new ground, saying it's like Denzel Washington and Tom Hanks are solid actors, folks. They are really really good. Yeah. It's funny because in the band played on, there is a similar scene where Matthew Modine goes to see um, uh, Ian McKellen in the hospital. And Ian McKellen's performance is still, I mean, it's it's good, but it's not on the same level as Tom Hanks. Mm. um, Because Ian McKellen wasn't going to be shaving his head. So he's, you know, in a in a hospital bed. But his the way that he's showing the symptoms is he starts talking nonsense. And there's a similar thing where Matthew, where he's like, Matthew Modine is kind of like having to assist him with um, with some oxygen and also, you know, giving him like his glasses because his glasses are on the side and he can't find them. So, there's you know, there's a similar kind of thing, but it's it just feels a lot less impactful because you don't really spend as much time with the characters. Um, but, yeah, it is it, like, you know, just Tom Hanks just lying there with his head shaved and kind of the oxygen mask on and kind of, you know, there's not really a huge amount of conversation between him and Joe. You know, Joe is kind of just basically saying, you know, we won and, you know, um, kind of saying goodbye. And then, you know, they, you know, to kind of, uh, you know, kind of make me cry even more. They have all of his family and friends kind of saying goodnight to him and leaving. And it's kind of, you know, you get the feeling that maybe, you know, because they're such a close family, they probably do this all the time anyway. But with this moment, that feels like there's a weight behind it as each of them kind of leave. 
and obviously it just leaves you know it just leaves Miguel and um, Andy yeah. in the room and that's you know with him saying that he's ready uh, is like the final kind of moment um, and then you know they don't even give us like the actual news being delivered they just give us a phone call that happens in the middle of the night and then you know obviously uh, Joe's wife answers the phone and then kind of passes it to him and you know it's as viewers good. We can guess what he's being told it's good movie shorthand right yeah. you know like we yeah. we've we've seen we've seen calls in the middle any call in the, I can't think of any calls in the middle of the night I've gotten that have been great news so in a movie like this you know you know what it is well, a friend of mine used to be a bit of an insomniac and he used to occasionally call me at three in the morning and he was like, do you want to go shopping? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, we go grocery shopping at like four in the morning. So wow. I've got okay. a good, that, that's you know, the exception that proves the rule then. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, I can't with that one. Yeah. But for most people, yeah, if you're getting a call late at night, it's not going to be for a good reason. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I like as well how they like they don't. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess maybe this could be a criticism, but they there's no like presenting of the body being dead or anything like that. Like there's no, yeah, we don't, we we don't, don't see when after that final scene after everyone says goodbye. That's it. That's the end of Tom Hanks in this film. You know, we're we're immediately at the memorial, and you know, in the memorial you have kind of everybody that you've kind of met before, all the friends and all the family, and obviously Joe. Um, you know, kind of coming in and you know hugging everyone and kind of you being part of it is it's just a you know it's just a touching moment you know but he's he's now kind of part of the family and they're all happy to see him and you know kind of <laughs> it's, I don't know it's just it's it's such a weird thing that it's like there's in this final scene there's not really like tons of dialogue but you just get little kind of exchanges that you can see happening um, and then we kind of finish on these kind of home movies of. Uh, I don't know someone playing a young Tom Hanks. It's not Tom Hanks. <laughs> He's just some kid. No, but um, but you know, but that the home movies and actually them watching the home movies and then going into it is yeah. just about, is what wrecked me just about the most. Where well, I mean like, that's yeah. the real oh, celebration feels... of humanity that we get here, right? Yeah. It's like we're all the same. Yeah, and I think that's a powerful message. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, it's just it's just a mean. great kind of like you know it finishes you know with that and and you know and then of course uh somebody else comes in singing a song about philadelphia uh, we get you neil know, young this person, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's crazy so i didn't know this i i knew it had been forever since i saw the movie but i knew that springsteen was nominated and won but i didn't know that a neil young contributed a song that was b called philadelphia i think that was c also nominated for an academy award and d arguably better I mean, at least not overplayed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I was very surprised. Uh, there was a thing that I read many, many years ago about Bruce Springsteen where it said, if he's the boss, consider me a disgruntled employee. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not, there's, there's, there's very few Bruce Springsteen songs that I actually kind of enjoy. I even saw that film a couple of years ago, which is about um, uh, the, the kid who like gets into Bruce Springsteen. Oh, yeah. Um, which oh, yeah. is weird because I've I've met I've met I've met Safras Manzu I've met him so so I've wow. so I'm one degree of separation away from Bruce Springsteen because he's met Bruce Springsteen like fifty times. Uh, he's I am also I am also not a big Bruce Springsteen fan. However, for some reason I watched uh, it's on Netflix the like the Broadway show that he did. And okay. say what you will about the man, but he can tell a story and. He can make you he made me cry like five times talking about <laughs> either his life, his dad, bandmates who have passed away. 
everything. I'm like, oh, how did you do it, Bruce Springsteen? Now, again, when I hear this Philadelphia song, I'm back to the old, like, oh, whatever. But uh, <laughs> but I will. If you if anybody wants to see, like, a glimpse of what I saw of, like, oh, that's what people related to. It is on that show. I, 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 I'll give it to that show. I the Really, the only Bruce Springsteen song that I've ever liked is a song that was, I don't know, like not that successful. I, I think kind of even, you might even class it as a flop, uh, which came out in the summer of 92 uh, and it's called 57 Channels and Nothing On. And they used, they, I don't know why, but they played that a ton, like the summer of 92. And I was like oh, listening to the radio all the time back then. I, it, and I, I mean, like it got to number 32 in the charts over here and it got to number 68 in the Billboard Hot 100. So not exactly a hit. Uh, but I just that's like the only one where because it's it's I don't know, I, I guess in like in the in the kind of early 90s, a bunch of bands that were like kind of hoary rock stars, you kind of, you know, they experimented with different types of music. And it's it's mm-hmm. not like a normal kind of like Bruce Springsteen song. Um, but yeah, I mean, Eric's going to come in now and say like he's a huge fan of the boss and he's got all the albums and he. Not, not <laughs> huge. <laughs> yeah i mean i like him he's i mean he's yeah. he i i think that he's yeah. a fine artist uh but between the two songs my pick would have been mm-hmm. philadelphia i think it, it's the one that hits me more emotionally than streets of philadelphia does yeah um, maybe aided by the fact that it comes at the end too you know yeah that with it, the emotional punch that you get yeah yeah that we've gotten everything of the movie yeah especially watching it now watching this movie philadelphia now where it starts with Bruce Springsteen songs, I'm like, huh, all right. But in hindsight, I'm like, okay, sure. And now it's done. Now I, now I go on with the movie. <laughs> and then the Neil yeah. Young song comes out. I'm like, oh, I was already in pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Noted uh, Philadelphian Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, uh, right? That's what, what he's, I don't know. That's what he's known for. Yeah. King of Philadelphia, I believe they call him. Well, they couldn't um, get Will Smith. Boy, <laughs> boys to Men oh. were too big. I mean, Will Smith doing like a rap at the start of this start of Philadelphia. I'm been... a lawyer. And my name is Andy. I want to tell you about the story that's handy. I don't know. Yeah, I should also say, and this is probably going to be the weirdest thing in the world, but maybe this marks it out as a film that came out in 1993. But the Spin Doctors were on the soundtrack with the cover of Have You Ever Seen the Rain? Wow. I remember that. Um, yeah. I, I think I still have this CD. So yeah, I guess uh, Spin Doctors covering covering Credence in 1993. That's where we were as a culture. Yeah. Saying that, I do love the Spin Doctors uh, and even their <laughs> second album, which has the song Cleopatra's Cat, which is probably one of my favorite songs by them. So, uh, you know, I think I prefer the Spin Doctors over Bruce Springsteen. If we're just gonna, I was just gonna score it for you. It's like that Spin Doctors yeah. one, Bruce Springsteen zero. If you're scoring at home, I mean. Uh, you know, if we're talking about if we're talking about songs from the '90s, then yeah, I mean, I mean, I, d- I didn't mind Streets of Philadelphia, but I just thought it was a bit of a kind of depressing opening, like you know, sure, and, and just with setting sh- the film up, random, I guess. yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I guess yeah, set us up. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it feels like we've kind of reached the conclusion now that we've we've passed Philadelphia as sung by Neil Young, uh, and like you say, yeah, Oscar nominated, lost to the other song from this soundtrack. <laughs> Which I guess shows the paucity of 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 good songs from Oscar nominated films in 1993 that both of those got nominated. Yeah. Um, so I think we're going to go alphabetically. We're going to start with the namesake of the uh, the character from the film, and we're going to start with Andy. Uh, and 
I feel like at this point, during, I mean, during this and the next kind of 11 films, it should be inevitable, but still, there have been some surprises. Um, <laughs> T. Hanks or no T. Hanks? Oh, T. Hanks, for sure. This is, this is, this is a great one that uh, is worth revisiting. I mean, you have to be prepared for Denzel Washington to be an extreme homophobe for yeah, most I mean, of the Yeah, I mean, it's a film of the early 90s, but yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, um, definitely T. Hanks. It's, it's like I said, I've seen it several times over many years now, but... Uh, uh, you know, I mean, uh, like, like I, like the one kind of little bit of a criticism in a way. I mean, it was actually to point out something else. But I mean, you know, a, a, a bit more of the courtroom stuff would have been interesting. But, uh, but it's 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 got it's definite, uh, you know, uh, definite things to say and at a time when when they need to be said. And I really appreciate that for it, uh, as well as I mean, it's 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 great, great filmmaking and 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 a couple of the actors at at their peak. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, yeah, and then I mean, this is Philip's first time giving it a judgment. Um, I, I so think I understand the a, score. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm yeah, fine. So. I understand the score. <laughs> uh, and it's and, the and I, uh, yeah, yes, I am also T. Hanks. Um, much to my surprise, honestly, like I, I only watched the movie once when when I was obviously much younger and probably just not ready to understand half of what it was showing me as a story or even as movies go. So I was, I was very pleasantly surprised rewatching it uh, just this week. So absolutely T Hanks. Yeah. Uh, obviously a T Hanks for me. I mean, you know, uh, like there's a reason why Tom won the Oscar. Like you can, uh, there's a lot of kind of Oscar, you know, awards that you can kind of go back on and be like, why did they give that, that, you know, like, and um, you know, in this particular case, you know, I think it was completely justified. I don't, know, I don't know who else was nominated. I don't care because, uh, you know, this is just a great performance. <laughs> it was the year. And it I, was the year Schindler's List was won. So yeah, I know, Liam like Liam Neeson, mm-hmm. and I think there's an Anthony oh, Hopkins yeah. in there. But yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne I mean, and. Oh, Daniel that would have been Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah. I mean, it, it was actually an incredibly oh, strong lineup of. Of choices yeah. that is a really good that's yeah. a really good all, all of them i mean could have won interestingly uh ddl turned this down to do in the name yeah. of the father um so that would have been amazing though daniel day lewis playing this role but, not as probably probably not wow. as good as tom but you know the other one that i was I, I was kind of there was one that i was like no I, i'm glad not uh michael keaton but then i could kind of see uh, uh uh tim robbins a bit yeah I mean, Tim Robbins sure. is just a player. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't he do Bob Roberts this year in 93? It's uh, around that time yet. for sure. Yeah. Bob Roberts. I can't remember film. if that was right before. And it's before or, Shawshank. Oh, that's what I was trying to remember. If it was right before or right after Shawshank. Yeah. 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 I think it was right before because it was a huge flop. It made no yeah. money. Bob Roberts basically flopped. <laughs> so, um, but notably, uh, Tim Robbins has kept all the Bob Roberts songs like off social media because he doesn't want people who don't understand the context using them. Because without <laughs> the context, it makes him seem like he's at least, like literally the most right wing yeah. person. Um, <laughs> which is the opposite he looks like uh, he looks like the owner of a law firm. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, I mean, just like, you know, all round, just kind of great performances, like even all the smaller roles, you know, like we said, Anna Devere Smith, she's only a couple of scenes, but she's still really great. Um, You know, uh, Jonathan Demme, you know, 
it's it's weird because like I think from this point on his career does kind of meander a bit and it doesn't really have any focus and it, like he doesn't kind of ever really return to this form. Um, well, I will say yeah, just as a it. as a completely random side note, and I I don't mean to sound like I'm bragging at, at all, but uh, a few a few oh. years after this, uh, he did a documentary about Jimmy Carter following him around on his book tour, and when he came through town here. Um, you know, I ended up, I, I got a call from some friends who were working on it. I said, do you want to work on this? And I'm like, sure. And, I, you know, I didn't care that it was just as a production assistant because I'm like, I'm working on a Jonathan Demi movie with Jimmy Carter. And it's like, this is great. <laughs> so I'll, I'll say, you know, just watching as Demi was like, you know, filming with his own like little handy cam as, as uh, Jimmy Carter was doing like this book tour and stuff. You know, he may not have been doing like, these big Hollywood films, but the amount of passion and enthusiasm that he had for the project that he was doing, I think speaks to the type of stuff that, uh, that he really just enjoyed doing. So. I mean, Rachel getting married is a great film. I enjoy that. I enjoy that film. I've watched it a few times, you know, there's some good performances in there. It's obviously like very, very loose and very like improvised. And you kind of have to, you know, go with the fact that it's like a wedding of these extremely rich white people, apparently. So, um, but you know, I, I I just don't think he you know he just never kind of reached the heights of doing like Silence of the Lambs and then this like you know there's I don't think there's there's few directors I think in the nineties who kind of had like two kind of back to back hits as as high quality as this you know this is and you know there's a lot of choices in this film that I think some people might kind of disagree with there's some kind of like Dutch angles as Andy is feeling sicker when he's in the court and there's some you know there's kind of almost I mean, I guess it's a trademark of Jonathan Demi to have that kind of close up in the middle of the screen or slightly off center. Um, you know, and some of that might be looking, r- looking ice. right at camera. Too. Yeah. Looking yeah. right at you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I, I still think it's, you know, it's extremely well put together. And as we said, like there's a lot of kind of, you know, it takes like 21 minutes before you get to the point of like, this is the premise of the film is like, he's been fired and he needs a lawyer. Like, it's so quick at kind of establishing everything and getting everything in place and then, you know, making it about, you know, the courtroom drama. Obviously, Eric wanted more of that, but, um, you know, there's still a fair amount of this film that is courtroom drama. Um, and as we said, you know, not completely realistic, but just well done in terms of, like, you know, people yelling stuff and all that kind of stuff. Disappointed, of course, the one person who didn't get to yell, Tom Hanks, you know, yelling in this film. But he does get to um, cry. You're, he gets yeah. to cry. Oh, yeah. But- yeah, you're right. You no yelling, to... unfortunately. And this is this is the first time that Tom Hanks has died on screen as a character. Mm. Um, it has taken him 18 films. Won't be the last. Uh, there's a pop. There was that one where he was the airline pilot. What was the name of that again? Andy? I can never get the title of that in the correct order. Every time we say goodbye, when yeah, we say every, goodbye, every time every we time. say goodbye. Every time we say goodbye. Yeah, in that he plays an airline pilot who probably goes off to his death, but we don't get to see it on screen. So we debated that a little bit at the end of that episode, whether or not he actually dies, you know, uh, because obviously the, the rate of death well, for people who are flying planes was fairly high, wasn't it? So We don't, we don't see this, this death on screen. Uh, I guess, yeah. Ooh, I mean, and we also, true. yeah. Objections yeah. sustained. <laughs> we, yeah, I guess, I guess we don't see a dead body. We're going to have to wait a, a few more years before we actually get to see a dead body of Tim, uh, Tom Hanks on screen. Uh, I, 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 I would almost, I, I, I'll go super pretentious and say the fact that it had to be pointed out to us, I think shows how well done the movie is that we, oh, yeah. you know, we totally, we know what happened without it 
being handed to us. So, but yeah, you're exactly right. Not yeah. If you're going binary, not that. I mean, if if you if you want to if you want to get into the nitty gritty, he died in uh, League of Their Own, but he died of natural causes when he was in his eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> true. Uh, but yeah, but this is you know this is kind of the first time that we've had this kind of this kind of death where we know that he's dying and he's obviously very sick. Um, you know, I think his next death on screen will be a lot quicker, uh, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Uh, which I, I and then does he? I mean, to be honest with you, it's very rare that Tom Hanks dies on screen. Yeah, you'll, you'll still have a, yeah, a little bit no. of time before you get to that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, I feel like we should wrap things up uh, because obviously we've talked a lot about this film, which we should because it was a great film. Um, so we're going to start with plugs. Uh, do you have anything to plug? And I know that Philip definitely does. So we'll go to Philip first. Oh, great. Uh, yeah, I uh, have. If you like hearing me ramble in book form, uh, I actually have a book uh, that is for sale is a mystery novel titled The Murderous Haircut of the Mayor of Bel Air. Real title. Love the title. Um, and it's, <laughs> thank you. Uh, it, real quick, it is about uh, a woman um, who is not only a hairstylist, but also has psychic abilities. Um, she normally uses her powers to read the minds of her customers to give them perfect hairstyles. Uh, and things normally work okay until one day she touches the head of uh, a stranger in the customer in the chair and she sees a dead body. Uh, she's compelled to solve the case. Uh, so the murderous haircut of the mayor of Bel Air. That's me. Nice. And where can we find you online? Oh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Philip Mottas uh, or my website. Um, honestly, I have a weird sounding name uh, that uh, Darren still refuses to pronounce correctly. So if you just Google uh, murderous haircut, Philip, you'll probably find me. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, the current ongoing but on a hiatus uh, movie by minute is almost famous minute. Um, we, we've stopped at uh, minute 94. 94 um uh, but uh should be back hopefully by the end of the year at this point um uh, and what uh one a great uh, little thing uh I, I i missed uh getting in there but uh when when uh, andy's on the stand what do you love about the law to begin with everything um is my little uh, uh note for myself that i well done wanted well done. to get in there um that's a great moment. relates to the end of my movie um but then uh, you can't also hear me ongoing right now is feels like weezer song by song uh, analysis of Weezer's uh, discography. Um, you can, yeah, you can just find that all that stuff, uh, yeah, on all the socials, uh, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Well, season four of Marvel Movie Minute is underway. We're talking about Thor, and I'm back in the fray there. So having a great time uh, digging in uh, to the God of Thunder and uh, every all of his escapades. And so you can learn more at Marvel Movie Minute. Dot com and uh, also the next reel uh, our film podcast just keeps uh, trucking along we are um, I'm not sure where we're going to be by the time this episode comes out but it's probably in our series where we're looking at films that are celebrating their 10 year anniversaries because our podcast is also celebrating its 10 year anniversary so congrats next reel.com this episode comes out on Saturday this is as close mm. this is very close to release then, date. yeah then we'll still be doing our horror debuts series that's right I forgot how tight this was and you can find us at the extremely awkward uh twitter handle uh t underscore ft memory uh thanks to everyone here for being my guest here today thank you thank you no thank you very much and you know next time uh the film is not going to be as harrowing because it's going to be a bit more like a box of chocolate